unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And we've got another awesome episode for the podcast listeners today. And this is kind of retouching on something that we've maybe hinted at, or we kind of did an, an entire exploratory episode about before, but one of those things that seems to go neglected in the copywriting world. So I'm ready to do a deep dive on today's subject. What have you got for us today? Well, I'd like to take you back to the early 1960s. I remember when I was a kid, I asked my dad about the cigarettes he was smoking. And very sarcastically, he repeated the words from a commercial. For the best combination of filter and good taste, David, Kent satisfied best. I smiled, but he could tell I didn't get his little joke. And then he said, no, seriously, David, it's because Kent has a micronite filter. It filters out the harsher parts of the cigarette smoke. Dad, being a nuclear physicist, really bought into Kent's so-called logical, unique selling proposition. He told me about the micronite filter like it was an established scientific fact. But of course, it was just a USP dreamed up by some ad agency. Now, these days, the old ads for cigarettes are considered evil. And though evil they may have been, they were definitely effective. Having a good USP for each brand of cigarettes was definitely a big part of their success. So the question arises, can you use a USP to sell healthy products? Good products, products that improve people's lives. And here's the answer. Not only you can, but you should. And what's more these days, very often you have to use the USP if you want to have half a chance of selling anything. Mm. And, and here's the problem. How do you create a USP? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, I've got a shortcut for you. But first, copy is powerful, and you're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for others in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Before we jump into it, for the copywriters that may not be familiar with exactly what a USP is, I, I know that this was one of the terms that um, I actually didn't stumble across until way later in my copywriting experience and didn't fully grasp until me and you had had some conversations about it. Uh, it's one of those things that doesn't get covered as frequently as I think it should, especially considering how important it is. Um, what, what exactly is a USP? Okay, good. So in a book called Reality and Advertising, uh, Madison Avenue admin named Rosser Reeves described the concept of USP, unique selling proposition. And a lot of people have a lot of different specific definitions of it, but unique means something that makes the product unique, sets it apart. Selling means 
that unique thing needs to help sell the product. And proposition means it doesn't mean you're going to get accused of sexual harassment by the customer. It means you're <laughs> going to you're going to make the prospect some kind of offer, some kind of proposition, mm. some kind of claim about this uniqueness in a way that's going to help it sell. Now, uh, that that's pretty high level and conceptual. Uh, so if you look up Walmart on the web, um, and I, they may have changed this since the last time I checked. It was about a year ago. But they say something like lowest prices always. That's their unique selling proposition. And often they can deliver on that. Um, I guess there are exceptions, but generally you're not going to find stuff cheaper than you can find it at Walmart, right? And when you get to real squishy stuff, consumer brands, you know, like Coca-Cola, Coke's the real thing. What, what does that mean as opposed to fake Coke? You know, I mean, what are they talking about? But, but for most businesses where they're not, you know, just selling on some kind of emotional image, uh, a unique selling proposition is the differentiator. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me answer your question by explaining why it's important. That might make it come clearer. Okay. See, if you're in the marketplace on the selling side, on the vendor side, on the marketer side, you're always competing. And it's easy to ignore or forget that fact. You may not be competing as far as you can tell, but your customer is always considering alternatives. And so whether it's conscious in their mind or it's unconscious more as a feeling or as a reflex, people are always wondering, why should I buy from you as opposed to someone else? Why should I get my podcast made by you, Nathan, as opposed to somebody else? Why should I get my coaching from you, David, as opposed to somebody else. That's always in their mind. And the unique selling proposition answers that question, or it begins the answer to the question. It sets the stage. Maybe it provides an umbrella for a longer, more detailed answer to that question. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, here's a mistake people make. A lot of people write their USP And by the way, uh, before I even get into the mistake, you can have a USP for a single product, for a division of a company, for a whole company, um, and you can also have it for a copywriter or for a coach or for a podcast producer or just about anything else. Uh, That As long as there's some selling going on, you can have a USP after all. Selling is USP's middle name. So um, a big mistake people make is they write USPs from their own point of view. And that's because they get so wrapped up in their own business that they think about what do they know is the best part of their business. And they don't give any time or consideration to the question what do customers know, what do customers think, what do customers care about, and what will a customer care about when they hear about it, okay? So the best USPs should either 
outright state or imply a clear benefit to the customer. Now, uh, with Walmart, which is you know a great example, um, that's if you think low prices are a benefit, and if you're going to shop at Walmart, that may be the reason you go there. Then that's outright stated. If you think low prices imply essentially more value for less money, then that's an implied benefit. You see, so it depends on the person. There are there are some USPs that are just out and out clear benefits, and some that are a little more subtle. But in either case, you're trying to get the customer to paint a picture in his or her mind of some kind of benefit or beneficial outcome or better life so based on doing business. Yeah. So it sounds like it, it's not just something that differentiates you. It has to be a desirable differentiator. Oh yeah. The fact that it differentiates you only shows why you're different. That just handles the first letter of unique selling proposition. That's just the you. You also need to handle the S selling and P proposition. Okay. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about putting together a USP for a copywriter or for any other high value service professional, meaning anyone who does a job, maybe, you know, a, a solo operator, um, a lone cowboy out there, whether it's as a copywriter or uh could be as a podcast producer like you, could be as a coach like me. And with with this, I'm going to give you actually two steps. And the first step is called the talent stack. Now, I got this from Scott Adams. He has it described in a couple of his books, in his older book, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Be a Huge Success. And I may be paraphrasing that a little bit, but that's essentially what it's called. And the second one, uh, Winning Bigly Persuasion in a World Where Facts Don't Matter. And that's his latest book. And in both cases, he talks about the concept of the talent stack and how he's used it himself to get his comic syndicated in thousands of newspapers around the world and how to make himself a multimillionaire doesn't have to work anymore, although he likes to work, so he still does, and doesn't need to worry about money. Uh, and I don't know if he worries about it or not, but he doesn't need to. Um, so the, the idea of a talent stack is you look at your talents, and you might only be 80%, 70%, you know, compared to what you think is world-class. You might be 50%. But when you add them all up as a unique combination, It's like the old cliche, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's the case with him. He says, you know, I'm not really that good at drawing. I'm not that funny. All my friends are funnier than I am. I'm not that good a writer. I'm not that good a speaker. I'm not, you know, that creative. I'm not all this. And, you know, maybe his talents range from 50 to 80% apiece. But... When you put them all together, no one can touch them. No one can de- replicate Dilbert. Now, if you don't like Dilbert, too bad for you, but still, anyone who tries to compete against him can't because he's got this unique set of talents put together in just the right way. 
you know, and, and you look at Dilbert and you look at the drawing, you go, my God, you know, even a, an art school graduate fresh out of school could do better than that. And that's probably true. Scott Adams actually couldn't get into art school, but he got into 2000 papers every day and he got them to pay him. So something there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do as the first step in creating your own USP is use your talent stack by making a list, make a list of all the things you do. Don't worry if you do them better than everyone in the world or even better than anyone in your industry or your niche of the industry. And if it's, you know, uh, copywriting, even, even if you do these things worse than every other copywriter, you know, there are probably some things you do that other people don't do. And there's probably a combination sort of like a DNA or unique combination lock or a lottery ticket number that your combination is unique when you take all of these little aspects together. And if you want more information on this, I suggest you get one of Scott Adams' books, either the Success Failure book or Failure Success book, rather, or the Winning Bigly book. He, he has a whole chapter on talent stack. He also talks about President Trump's talent stack. And I sure don't want to talk about that today or ever. Oh my God! Is that the White House calling me? <laughs> oh, let me let me turn off my phone. So um, that's the first step. You, use your talent stack, make a list, and just put together a combination. All it needs to be. You don't need to use the words from this list. It, it doesn't need to be written in a really compelling way. It's, it's just a descriptive list of of your unique set of talents. Your talent stack. And then the second step is a little more analytical and systematic. What you do is you need to do some customer research. You need to talk to your own clients. Uh, you need to um, hang around forums, uh, find people who've hired copywriters. And you make a list of common benefits that all copywriters have, including should be benefits that the copywriters should have but don't have, and you find out what people who've hired other copywriters or other people in the industry like you are pissed off about, or maybe not pissed off, maybe just disappointed, concerned, worried. And you look at the one or two things that are near the top of their list that you can do the opposite of. So. You know, it, I mean, I know a lot of copywriters who will not pick up the phone until uh, the deadline and maybe even after the deadline. And maybe you're you're glad to pick up the phone, answer the phone, call your client to get an email that could actually be part of USP. You know, uh, not only does your copy get great results, but your phone calls get returned. Mm. Sounds pretty silly. No, but from a client's point of view, that's very important. That's right. I mean, you might be mocked by all the other copywriters who are afraid to pick up the phone because they might hear a discouraging word. But a client would say, God, I've been looking for someone like you. You know, mm -hmm. now you may not close a sale just because of that. But I mean, because it's it's pretty amazing. Well, anyway, I don't want to go there. OK, um, so that's that's how you those are the two things you you need to do some research to 
you know, figure out what that opposite is. And then you combine, you know, what you do as a copywriter in your talent stack with this USP trick of doing the opposite of what people hate the most that your competitors do. And you've got a pretty supercharged USP. Nice. It's kind of like one of those headlines where you say, I can deliver this benefit without this pain point, And you're just applying that that type of headline style to what sets you apart from all the other copywriters out there. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Now, the good news is I've already described how you put together USB for business or for a product or even in a sales letter. It's and, and I, I do remember now we talked about this to some degree in when we talked about the big idea, but we didn't really focus on it. So it's just the second half of the process. And the, the good news is this is easier. You don't have to come up with a talent stack for a business or a talent stack for a product. And the other thing is it's always harder to promote yourself. You know, it, it just takes longer and it, it, it's harder to see yourself the way others do. And it's usually good to get some outside help. I did, you know. I hired a coach that I'd worked with before who helped me most recently when I redid my coaching website. But anyway, with, with the USP for a product or service, again, you just, you can look at reviews on Amazon. You can look at what people are saying on Facebook. You can find maybe industry forums. You can actually look at customer comments that come in. You can look at customer comments on your competitors' websites, and you can do interviews with people to find these kind of things out. So you, you need to do the research, and then, again, what's the one most important thing people are complaining about that you can offer the opposite of? And sometimes that's, that's enough to at least be the basis of your USP. A lot of times, too, that can be one of those tipping point things where it's the one hesitation that they have. It's the, I've been burnt by this so many times before. And you're like, look, we're not going to burn you this way. And here's why, and here's proof. And now all of a sudden something that they were incredibly skeptical about, uh, you overcame that last hurdle for them and they'll be ready to buy. Yeah. I mean, I told you about the seminar I was at. I told all our listeners about the seminar I was doing with John Carlton and Harlan Kilstein and Mark Widower. This is 10 years ago in San Francisco, the System 7 seminar. And I was giving a very short 
abbreviated presentation of this idea. And um, I, it's funny how the people with most money usually sit in the back of the room. And I said, is there anybody here who has a luxury car? And a lot of people, you know, this shit-eating grin on their face, and they raise their hands. I say, well, good. How many of you have a factory warranty that requires you get several thousand dollars of additional paid maintenance besides your lease payments or your car payments in order to keep the warranty intact. And they weren't smiling so much as their hands went up. (laughs) And I pointed out, and this was three years before I actually leased a BMW, but I, I pointed out that at the time, BMW apparently this time was the only car manufacturer around who had a warranty if you bought or leased a car from them they would cover everything except the windshield wipers and the tires and the wiper fluid anything else it was covered in the warranty um and and they would do checkups on the car for free so maybe it would cost the same maybe it would cost more net but you know those guys were mad about this stuff. I mean, I remember one guy had a Porsche. He just loved it, but he didn't love this. And, well, I don't think – he doesn't have a Porsche anymore now. I think he has an Audi, so he likes German cars. Maybe just because I have a Beamer, he doesn't want to get one, you know. But, um, no, seriously, um, that's, you know, that's the power of this thing. And, and last time I checked, and this is, frankly, a couple years ago, BMW is like a $67 billion company worldwide sales. I mean, that's pretty big. So how do they, how how do they take that frustration that's common amongst most people that own those higher end cars and how do they convey it to, to their listeners or to their readers or to their advertisement readers in a way that, uh, that, that gets that point across and, and makes that impact? Well, this was a, a while, this is like a 10 years ago, and at the time, no one else was doing it. Now many other people do it, but they found a way to shoehorn it into a commercial. They simply explained it. They showed someone driving the car, and they said, you know, if you have this problem or this problem or this problem or this problem or this problem, it's covered, you know? I mean, it, it wasn't real snazzy, complicated, but you know what has happened is BMW... I think if if it were still a a true luxury brand, I wouldn't have it. Um, I I don't know why. Uh, It's sort of a a hybrid luxury mass market brand. There are a lot of people driving them. You can rent them now. You know, it's not like getting a Lamborghini or or a a Rolls Royce. So, yeah, it's a high-end car for sure. So uh, they just simply spelled it out. And that's an extreme example. And, you know, Federal Express, the same thing, when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. I mean, when they first started out, that's all they really needed to say. And I can still remember that from, what, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, that, that was a real problem for people who had to get something to a client or a boss in another city in you know record time. These days, it's, it, you know, there are so many competitors it's fairly commonplace even the post office has overnight service which might get there in a day um so yeah it's kind of like pizza hut as as well um when you order a pizza 
you don't want it two and a half hours from now. You want it now because you're hungry. And they were one of the first ones to come out and be like, hey, we'll get it to you in 30 minutes or less or it's free. Um, just a, a real simple frustration that the market has saying, hey, we do the opposite of that. And you don't even have to be persuasive or manipulative at all. You just lay out in plain, simple English, we're going to solve that big problem that everybody else seems to be ignoring. And that just brings in customers in the hordes. Yeah. Now, you've got to say it in a way that, that reaches them emotionally, but you don't have to be fancy or tricky or indirect or use NLP or blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you, can, you can just say it in a way that, that strikes a chord. And it is about the number one frustration. Yeah, I mean, who the hell wants to? I mean, suppose you're watching a football game and it's the first quarter and you order a pizza. The pizza comes three hours later. The game's over. Mm-hmm. You know, who wants to do that? Exactly. Nobody. So yeah. can we do a... I know I kind of took us on a couple of different tangents. Would you mind going back and doing a recap of the steps? Yeah, that's okay. So um, the first step is the kind of research you need to be doing for your USP. You need to do anyway for the whole sales letter. So just not that big a deal. It's not extra work. You can piggyback on the research that you're already doing. And the the good thing about the USP is it can make half the sale for you all by yourself. And the steps for a copywriter, one, do the talent stack. Two, find out the biggest frustration that you can offer the opposite of. And three, weave those two things together, your opposite offer compared to their common frustration with your talent stack. And that's how you do it. And you have to come up with some compelling, memorable words. Now, for um, product or service, just do the second part. You don't even need to do a talent stack. You just need to find the big frustration and and build your promise around that by doing the opposite. Pretty simple. Awesome. David, fantastic episode. As always, what do we have coming up next time? Next time, we're going to talk about interviewing skills for copywriters. Not the skills uh, when a client's interviewing you. Uh, that that could be, you know, to find out if they're going to hire you. Th- these are the interviewing skills copywriters need that they don't always have. And we'll talk about that. All right. I'm intrigued and I can't wait. All right. Thank you again, David. Fantastic episode. Thank you, copywriters, for tuning in. Make sure you check out the Copywriters Podcast website, copywriterspodcast.com, and get more episodes over there. Until next time, we will see you later. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Do you have a question you'd like to have answered on the Copywriters Podcast? We're looking at questions that are included in new reviews on iTunes. Here's how it works. Leave a review for the Copywriters Podcast on iTunes. Besides giving your thoughts on the podcast itself, include a question you'd like to have answered. We'll be monitoring the questions regularly, and I'll be answering as many of them as I can on future episodes. Thanks for your good ideas and for listening to the Copywriters Podcast.